champion and challenger. Y'all saw what happened in Charlotte, North Carolina, and y'all still know who the man is. Don't ya? Well, Flair, the WCW officials have been very good to me. Thunder Cake 94, February 20th, Vader gets his revenge. You bring your mama, your papa, your little baby boy, and your pretty bride. You bring them all, and when I get done kicking your butt, all that ring. The revenge of Vader. Revenge! Revenge! Get us through all the excitement! It's ours away, it's tonight! Vader Flair 2, Thunder Cage, Silver Rock, the most dangerous match in our sport. All things considered, Vader, I had no choice. And when they locked that door tonight, with you and I in that cage, the fans will know why. Vader Flair 2, Big Man, I was ready at Starcade. I'm ready tonight. What's up, everybody? It's Punch and Pie, episode three. I'm Mr. P, along with Wago. Hey, how's it going? We're back at y'all again for another episode where we're going to talk about wrestling or other combat sports. On this one, we're talking about wrestling. Going back to 1994 for WCW's Super Brawl 4 event. This one's, one's going to be an interesting one. Uh, it's our first time talking about World Championship Wrestling. Oh, Wago, any, any opening thoughts you want to throw onto this one here? Well, we've pretty much discussed in the past that we're not uh, really WCW guys. We've always been more of a WWE guy. So a lot of this was new to me. A lot of it was foreign to me. There was plenty of guys that I was familiar with. But uh, yeah, this uh, show was definitely a mixed bag for me. I'm going to have a lot of positives, a lot of negative notes. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and get kicked off into some of the fast facts about this, though. This took place on February 20th, 1994. Uh, it took place at the Albany Civic Center, Go Firebirds, in Albany, Georgia. Uh, some stats of how this event did. 7,600 people in attendance, which actually sounds like a pretty small number, but if you see it, it's not a very big building that they're in. No, it's not. And do you know what I like about uh, small crowds and small venues? Sometimes they actually make a lot more noise because of this enclosed environment. It's true. Even during the quieter moments of this show, you still felt like the crowd was somewhat engaged. Yeah, definitely. So it uh, definitely added for an atmosphere, which honestly needed for some of these matches. And despite those lower numbers, they still brought in about $39,000 at the gate, which is not a terrible night for 1994. They got 110,000 pay-per-view buys, which, you know, let's be honest, hey, TNA would love to be getting those numbers. (laughs) Before this show even happened, uh, I I took the time and I found the pre-show for this. And uh, we all know the pre-shows we get these days. This was... This was such a WCW-style pre-show. It was Mean Gene Oakland solo for half an hour, just giving the backstory to each match. This this was just beautiful. I'm, I'm a sucker for Mean Gene, and you're going to have to be if you watch this show, because let me tell you, Mean Gene is all over the damn place. But I, I really enjoyed watching him here and having the little promos from each person. Yeah, what I like about Mean Gene, whenever I hear him, it's basically a blanket of just familiarity with him. It's just this blanket of nostalgia, so I couldn't listen to him talk about matches forever and ever. And the music that they used, uh, the entire background was just hilarious. Hi again, everyone. I'm Mean Gene Okerlund in the Super Brawl Control Center. And we're counting down to Sunday, February 20th at 7 o'clock Eastern Time. Call the cable company you're watching right now regarding availability. 
<laughs> Could totally fit into a cheesy Japanese 90s uh, video game. Well, you want to have cheesy 90s music, we have a cheesy 90s rock riff beginning the actual pay-per-view off uh, with what sounds almost like a monster truck announcer. Like, it's Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Tonight we have Ric Flair battling the Monster Vader in a Thunderdome. Yeah, that's actually pretty goddamn accurate. Though, honestly, the way they had, did this opening representation, it was real fun. It actually took me back to a lot of the uh, old boxing pay-per-views that I used to uh See, adver- like, see advertisements for. Yeah, Ric Flair doing a lot of training in the gym, uh, even doing the, the cliche running up the stairs of the arena and then like celebrating at the top with a hearty woo! Woo! You know what? I actually mocked out for that. I really popped for it. I wish they'd do stuff more like this. It's, um, I don't know, it just adds a little uh, more wholesome feel to the character. I don't know. Maybe it's just the old cheesy babyface stuff that I like, but I got a kick out of it. Oh, and it's wild seeing that with Ric Flair, too, who for the most part of his career, has been a heel. The, the show-off-y type. So to see him given that type of uh, wholesomeness is actually a rarity. So that was cool to see here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are welcomed by our announced team this evening, Tony Schiavone, along with Bobby the Brain Heenan. Oh, yeah. And this is a significant show for Bobby. It's his very first pay-per-view in WCW after leaving the WWF. Uh, it was not his very first show. He made his debut at the Clash of the Champions 26 a little bit before, but this is his first pay-per-view event. And I gotta say, he killed it tonight. I really enjoyed him on commentary. Bobby was great. Most of the time when you watch, or should I say listen to Bobby in WCW, it, it feels like a lower Bobby. Like, if you listen to the stuff that's later on in, like, 96 and 97, he's, he's not what he used to be. He's, he's not having fun there, and you can hear it in his voice, but I, I just don't know... If maybe that affected him yet, or maybe he just didn't know what he had gotten himself into going over there, but he definitely was still on his game tonight. And I think him and Tony complimented each other a lot tonight. And I don't mean like they said nice things about each other, because that certainly wasn't true. And it's funny, because I, I've not seen too many pay-per-views that um, Tony has called. And for the lot of the flack that he gets, he wasn't bad tonight, and they really gelled well together. No, I really don't understand the hate for Tony Schiavone. He's he's a fine announcer. Um, in fact, like I always, as a lot of people think of Jim Ross as the voice of the Attitude Era, Tony was the voice of the Nitro Era. So he he has a very important role in wrestling history to me. Uh, one thing I noted about when they were talking, it sounded like they were coming through the house speakers at the very beginning. Did you catch that? No, I didn't. But that's something that you'd probably pick on more than uh, pick up on more than I would. It's, it's just odd. Like I, I can't imagine being in an event and just having the announcers coming through the speakers while you're there. I mean, I guess it's more immersive for them. But I, no, I just can't recall another event where I've seen that. The only time I've actually seen it where the announcers are constantly broadcasted to the crowd is back when. Uh, Jerry Lawler used to do Memphis wrestling. Mm, mm-hmm. And that would make a lot of sense, yeah. Uh, our first scheduled match of this evening, it is Johnny B. Bad taking on Freebird Michael P.S. Hayes. Hey, wait, you know what the P.S. and P.S. Hayes stands for? I actually don't. I've never looked it up. <laughs> it stands for Pretty Sexy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a good job that he just kept it as initials. Yeah, yeah. So a little background story to why this match is happening. Uh, Hayes and Bad actually were a tag team for for a hot minute. Hayes turned on him during a match on WCW Saturday night. Uh, actually, just the night before this. Uh, and that's what led to this match here. Gary Michael Capetta introduces Bad with, he says he's the prettiest in all of World Championship Wrestling. Yeah, to think that this guy's meant to be a babyface too and people are cheering for him. Isn't this like uh, Tyler Breeze's gimmick? <laughs> 
well, Tyler Breeze doesn't have the bad blasters. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Those, uh, those freaking sparkly sticks were ridiculous. I couldn't even make out what they were. They're, they're, yeah, they're just some kind of tubes, and he shoots confetti out. And that was like one of his big gimmicks. Anytime I see him, he always has these things, and the crowd goes nuts for him. The, the terrible part about this, though, is that it shot confetti all over the damn place, and it was just there. <laughs> they never clean this goddamn confetti up. It yeah, is there the whole damn night. It took me a while to um, tune it out. So Hayes enters next in a wheelchair, pushed by uh, fellow Freebird Jimmy Jam Garvin. I haven't seen him in a long time in WCW. Uh, both of them in street clothes. Uh, they are greeted by Mean Gene Okerlund and Commissioner Nick Bockwinkle in the aisle. Hayes says he's too hurt to wrestle. He fell down the stairs or slipped on a banana peel or something. They don't really seem to give a proper story here. So Mean Gene asked for a doctor's release, and funny enough, they presented. <laughs> they actually had a doctor's note to get themselves out of the match. Yeah, that actually caught me off guard. I popped a little for that. I'm just like, this is actually some awesome vintage heel work. We don't get to see heels try and weasel themselves out of matches this way anymore. And the retort for this, Nick Bockwinkle actually exercises the Freebird rule. <laughs> And this was actually interesting. The Freebird rule saying that since Hayes cannot compete tonight, then Jimmy Garvin will be the one to have to take his place. It's actually nice uh, seeing them spin that back on them. Yeah. I can't think of any other case where that's happened. Uh, Jimmy Garvin, who has been retired now for a number of years, working as a commercial pilot, is, of course, completely upset with this. But what can they do? He's under contract. And if they don't do it, they will both be fined. And, well, no one wants that to pay a fine. So that match is going to happen later tonight. So at least he's giving him time to get ready. So our match that we actually have starting the show is a tag match featuring a newer tag team in WCW at the time, Harlem Heat, taking on the team of Thunder and Lightning. That's got to be Kane. Where do I start with this one? Um, so this is a very young Harlem Heat. They actually have completely different names. They're not Booker T and Stevie Ray. Uh, they are going under the names Cole and Kane, respectively, as I said before. Um, they just debuted in August of 93, so they've been there for a few months. Wago, do you know what the original gimmick for Harlem Heat was going to be? Nope, not a clue. <laughs> so the original gimmick for Harlem Heat when they were signed to WCW is that they were going to debut... As a pair of wrestling prisoners, won in a card game by Colonel Robert Parker. Jesus Christ. It, it gets better. Their, their outfits coming down to the ring were to include chains and shackles. Yeah. I wonder why they didn't go with that. <laughs> Are you fucking serious? Was I, there a name for this stable? No, I don't think so. At least I couldn't find it. But this is legit. I found multiple sources backing this up. Wow. <laughs> and it actually got so close to going on. They actually cut it right before it was going to go on air the night it was going to. Was Dusty still the booker around this time? This is the craziest thing, is that this is during the Bischoff era. You would think wow. they'd be, be beyond that kind of stuff. Like, you could almost expect that in, like, the Bill Hurd or, like, one of the, the, the Southern eras. Bill Watts would do that shit, mm -hmm. but fucking... Honestly, I wouldn't even expect it from Dusty, but Dusty more than Eric. Yeah, so, so someone was out of touch there just a bit. Even in 94, that, that would not have gone over well. Uh, and the funny thing is you can actually still see some leftover remnants of that original gimmick. Uh, you ever notice the little metal ring in the center of their gear? 
Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so you'll never be able to look at that the same way again. Um, our other team, Thunder and Lightning, uh, goofiest looking jabronis on the whole show, uh, coming out with capes. One guy looks like a jacked up um, AJ Styles that can't move his body properly. So I don't know which one that is specifically, but uh, Lightning, you might know this name. The man who plays Lightning is a man named Jeff Farmer. Wait, Jumpin' Jeff Farmer? <laughs> no, no, no. Unfortunately, not Jumpin' Jeff Farmer. This is actually a Damn. different Jeff Farmer, uh, the one who would eventually go on to be the fake Sting for the NWO. Oh. Uh, yeah. I was um, going to say, I would have marked out a lot more for Jumpin' Jeff Farmer. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would have too. But um, yeah, when I, when I saw that, I was like, wait a minute. And I was like, oh, the NWO stings. Okay, okay. Do you know what American Gladiators is? Um, we had our own series called The Gladiators. I'm pretty confident it was very similar. Okay, well, that's what these guys remind me of. They're, I mean, first off, the names Thunder and Lightning is straight out of American Gladiators. Yeah, they reminded me. They've got kind of the douchey outfits, the douchey um, bro look. Um, it works. It, it works for what they were going for, at least. Uh, Thunder and Lightning control most of this match with... Tons of rest holds, even though they're the baby faces, which I thought was really odd. Yeah, I actually couldn't figure out who the baby faces were in this match, so I'm glad you told me. Yeah, that I honestly that I mean that's the ruling I came down to. I could be wrong. I, have, I actually have a question mark next to that statement, so I could be wrong. Well, but the, it didn't the way seem like anyone was doing hot tags, that were at least not very convincing hot tags. So it was hard to make out. Well, this match is so important that in the middle of it, that we cut backstage to Ric Flair just sitting around in his <laughs> golf pants. So, <laughs> that, Woo. yeah, that, that's, how, that's how much everybody's invested here. Um, cutting to the ending, the ref is trying to regain control when everything goes wild with all four of them in the ring, uh, backing Thunder to his team's corner. While the referee is distracted there with Thunder, Lightning rolls up Cole for a pin, uh, but Kane hits Lightning with what Shivani calls a boot in the ear. Did you hear that? A boot in the ear! I don't know, they made a big joke about it, him and Bobby. They were having fun. Um, Harlem Heat would make the pin and win the match. Well, the match wasn't offensive. It just wasn't good. No, I mean, Harlem Heat would have uh, much better moments as they would go on. Obviously, they've proven themselves as one of the greatest tag teams of all times. Um, Thunder and Lightning, they... They wouldn't be there much longer. Now, I wonder if like, we were more invested in these characters if this match would have made way more sense, but they didn't do a good job of defining who we should like cheer or boo, so it was just pretty missable for me. But it was kind of cool seeing how jacked Booker T used to be. Oh my gosh, these guys were massive. Both of them. Both mm -hmm. of them, just huge. Yeah, they were tall. They, were, like, way, they looked way taller back then. I'm pretty sure they're the same height as they were, but... I don't know, with the extra muscle, they look like monsters. Yeah, and who knows, they could have had lifts in their shoes or something. Um, um, yeah, a lot of guys did that back in the day. They, uh, they would stick around for a while, eventually getting their names back, and they would get Sister Sherry as their manager and become WCW Tag Team Champions before the end of the year. And honestly, I, heard, I saw her do an interview for those guys, and as a trio, She's they great. worked pretty well. Oh, she was, she was great with them. That, that, that mm. might actually be my favorite act that Sherry ever did, except for maybe Sean. And I didn't really know much, I didn't even know she was a manager for them, and she actually looks, looked the part. Her outfit worked great with hers. Oh, come on, dude, you never saw the, the infamous Booker T video? Oh, wait, yeah, she was in that, one. She's she? in that, yeah. <laughs> she, like, right after, <laughs> oh, yeah, right after Booker T says his flow. Yeah, she's the one who kind of was like, Booker. 
<laughs> the fuck you doing? <laughs> See, after this match is done, we head to Mean Gene in the back outside of Ric Flair's locker room with increased security. And I gotta say, these uh, fake cops they had were pretty convincing. Yeah, they were pretty decent. Yeah, normally, like, they, they even had bad. Like, a lot of times you see these cops, they don't even have badges, their outfits look terrible, they're unbuttoned. Yeah, no, <laughs> normally um, you're, you're familiar enough where you can go, oh, he's from uh, CZW, uh, that one's from Shakara. Yeah, and they look like wrestlers. You know, they look like jack guys with cops clothes on. These guys were, like, short, they were balding, <laughs> they looked like cops. <laughs> we, we don't get anything there, we just get to see that there's increased security in the back. Uh, we head back to the ring, where we have our next match. Jungle Jim Steele taking on the Equalizer. Uh, let's talk about the Equalizer. He comes out, black trunks, black pads, black vest. Does this sound familiar? <laughs> uh, we get a, and he has long blonde curly hair. That's the one thing that kind of separates him. Uh, you know who the Equalizer is? Really out of shape. No, do you know who he is? I do not know who the Equalizer is. The Equalizer is the brother of Kevin Sullivan, Dave Sullivan. Oh, yeah. You know what? Now that they think about it, he, uh, I think at the next Super Bowl, he ended up wrestling, uh, his brother in a brother versus brother match. Um, and they look like shit, if I remember right. Yeah. No, they, they had a feud. He, um, he eventually would become, like, the Hulk Hogan super fan when Hulk Hogan would come in. And so he, ah. would, he would be, like, the guy backing Hogan while Kevin Sullivan was the guy going after Hogan. And that was their whole thing. He also had a feud with Big Bubba at some point that involved a rabbit or something. Uh, this this guy has a weird history there. Um, our other competitor is Jungle Jim Steele, which first off that name, Jungle Jim, my gosh. Um, he is out dressed like Tarzan with a loincloth. On his Wikipedia article, it says that he is a power plant graduate, but everything I read about the power plant says it didn't even exist until 1995. So I don't know how that's possible. Hmm. Yeah, so I, I don't know. Something about that's got to be wrong. Um, this match involves a lot of punching. And some punching. And some more punching. Yeah, this match was the drizzling shits. Um, it was like 11 minutes, and it was a long-ass 11 minutes. My favorite part of the whole match is when they cut to this, like, behind the announce table shot, and Tony Schiavone, like, turns around doing this cartoonish fourth wall stare. Almost like Bugs Bunny, like, stare like, can you believe this? <laughs> <laughs> Cutting right to the finish, Steele ducks a clothesline, bounces back off the ropes with a Thez press called the Steel Trap uh, for the <clears> one, two, three pinfall victory. Oh, thank God this match was over. Actually, it might have been a bit shorter than I thought, but God damn, it just felt like it took way too long. It felt like it was way too long, and there's two characters that don't care about, don't matter. It's not even like you could look back and be like, oh, it's this guy when he was young or something. It, it had no value. Yeah, there's nothing redeeming. Uh, we cut to Mean Gene again plugging the good old WCW hotline. <laughs> Fans can call and leave comments on if they think Nick Bockwinkle was fair in his treatment of Michael Hayes and Jimmy Garvin for just 99 cents a minute. <laughs> Man, I wish I could have called in. It was totally unfair. It was totally not justified. I would have voted. Well, let my voice be heard. Why don't we go ahead and do this? Why don't I pick up my phone here? one 900 909 9900. Let's go ahead and see what happens here. Call. Welcome to Wireless. Your call cannot be completed as dialed. No. Please check the number and dial again. Announcement for location 74334. Three, three, well, that's unfortunate. 
<laughs> well, at least it wasn't a porn line. Uh, Gene gets joined by Nick Bockwinkle and Ricky Steamboat. Uh, Ricky Steamboat announces that he will indeed be meeting the winner of Vader and Flair for the WCW World Championship. So we know our next contender. Our next match we have here, Diamond Dallas Page versus Terry Taylor. Story behind this, DDP recently returned after a rotator cuff injury with the gimmick of drawing random names from a fishbowl of who he would challenge. Only thing is, every name he would draw would be somebody retired or somebody not there. And uh, this pissed people off to the point where eventually Terry Taylor came in and made the challenge to Paige himself, who answered by attacking Taylor with a tackle box full of bricks. I approve. I approve of hitting Terry Taylor with many things. <laughs> yeah, a tackle box full of bricks sounds like a good start. Yeah, definitely. DDP comes out with the Diamond Doll, which is his wife, Kimberly. This is actually the first time that we're seeing her there before she would go to be a Nitro Girl. DDP has this wine red jacket with fringe. Absolutely lovely. Terry Taylor comes out in a traditional red robe. Uh, this match is Terry Taylor mostly working the arm of DDP. At one point, we get a series of roll-up reversals, which prompts Bobby Heaton to go, Wow, this is great wrestling! You remember that line? I was like, you, you haven't seen much yet, have you, Bobby? <laughs> <laughs> um, He's used to those Mantar matches, so. Oh, yeah, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, this match was just Headlock City, it felt like. Yeah, uh, the whole match, Bobby keeps creeping on the Diamond Doll. Basically, their version of Jerry Lawler. Uh, <laughs> this match is so boring, actually. I made a note that people in the front row aren't even paying attention. I mean, it pretty much was the shits. It really did feel like <laughs> Headlock City. I know um, I've said that about matches in the past, but this really was pretty bad. I, they had um, they had some time to do something. They did. And Diamond Dallas Page was still early in his career here, but Terry Taylor was enough of better. This is long after the Red Rooster days. He should have been on top of this. Yeah, he should have been able to carry DDP to something better. Um, in fairness to DDP, he really didn't come into his own until, like, what, 97, 98? I would say 96, but yeah, he, it took him a while. End of this match is Paige whipping Taylor into the corner, charges at him, but Taylor dodges out of the way, leaving Paige to collide with the corner, follows that up with a roll-up for the 1-2-3, so even a disappointing finish. Yeah, winner, Terry Taylor. After the match, I don't know if you caught this, Taylor just pushes the Diamond Doll for no reason. Yeah, I did see that. I was like, the hell is that for, dude? Yeah, like she wasn't even anywhere near him, wasn't in his way, he's just like, uh, I'm just gonna push her. Jerk. <laughs> yeah. Head back to Mean Gene again. This time he is joined by Olivier Moufle. Uh But Gene can't say that, so he just calls him Ollie M. <laughs> <laughs> I love Gene. <laughs> um, they're they're promoting like some some kind of international thing. I kind of kind of got lost in translation. What the hell they were talking about? Yeah, he asked him some awkward ass questions, and he tried his he tried his damn best to answer them. We get a promotion for Spring Stampede, which I absolutely loved. It, it was like these cows charging at the screen with these two dudes and a lockup on top of them. It was so cheesy and so 90s, and it was lovely. <laughs> yeah, I do love some of the old commercials. Sometimes um, it's what I get the biggest pop out of, especially when a card's being kind of lackluster. Uh, I actually have a fun note about Spring Stampede, because I don't know if we'll ever do that show. Uh, that Spring Stampede show had a dark match that featured Danny Bonaducci versus Christopher Knight in a dark match, as I said. So nobody saw this, only the people in the, in the arena. But this is a huge match. Do you understand what that match is? 
No, the only time I've seen uh, Bonadushi wrestle was against uh, Eric Young in a cage match in TNA. And I don't think that was even on TV. I think that was a dark match, too. It was a pre-show on a pay-per-view, if I remember. Yeah. So this match is Danny Bonaducci, who was uh, in the Partridge family, and Christopher Knight, who was in the Brady Bunch. So this was Partridge family versus Brady Bunch, and they didn't <laughs> put it on the pay-per-view. Idiots. They could have marketed that. Like that, isn't, that doesn't mean too much to me, being from England. They weren't really like massive shows, but I get the importance of it. And That's silly. They should have marketed that. There, there had to have been some kind of contractual reason that they, that maybe these guys didn't want to be seen on TV doing it. That's the only acceptable reason I could think of for this. Well, maybe the fans, maybe the, at least the fans got a big kick out of it. Our next match that we had is Johnny B. Bad returning back out. This time he will be facing Jimmy Jam Garvin. Uh, Jimmy Garvin enters strutting his stuff, bringing back the old Jam persona. He, he's, he's still kind of got it, you know. Like, yeah, but the but the hair, man, it's so weird. It's so out. You want to talk about stuff that's outdated. Like, that stuff was all the rage in the 70s and 80s. Early 90s was not loving it. Man, his age was showing in this match, too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, lots of smack talking throughout this match uh, from Hayes on the outside and Garvin, especially at the referee. Did you catch that when Garvin was just completely ripping apart the referee? Man, I wish I was in there. I'd knock him out again. You're right. Again. I believe it. Come on, Garvin. Shut up, referee. I didn't catch that exactly, but I did catch just Michael Hayes just jack-jawing with uh, Heenan and yeah. giving each other compliments throughout the entire Waving match. Waving from across the ring, like, hi, Bobby! Hi. Yeah, it was... <laughs> and, like, they're having a full-on conversation from across the ring. It's amazing. <laughs> um, as for the match itself, this is another slow... This, this, is, this has just been a pattern. S- these slow, plotting matches with lots of rest holds. Honestly, Michael Hayes and Bobby Heenan made this match for me. Yeah, absolutely. They were the characters that made this match enjoyable at all. Uh, the finish is Garvin is dazed as Bad goes up to the top, does a sunset flip from the top rope for the pin, which is an awful finish. Finishing with a sunset flip. Uh, that's, a, that's becoming a trend, too. After the match, Bad goes after Hayes, but Garvin attacks from behind, beats him down with a cowboy boot, and hits him with a stunner. <laughs> The Jimmy Jam Stunner. The By Jimmy God. <laughs> um, so Johnny B. Bad and Michael Hayes never did get their pay-per-view match. Uh, Hayes had actually given notice in January that he was going to be quitting WCW uh, and eventually head over to the WWF. And well, what happened to him there, Wago? Yeah, you got to make that Doc Hendricks money. <laughs> um, this is actually uh, Jimmy Garvin's last TV match ever. Unfortunately, he, oh. he did a couple indie appearances, but he, he legitimately was like retired at this point. I don't you know, know what? what made him come out of it for this. It's not it's not the worst way to go out. No, like putting putting a young guy over on what's a pretty big show. Mm-hmm. Uh, Johnny B. Bad hung around for a little bit more, gaining the United States Championship soon after this. But he also would eventually be WWF bound two years later, coming in as the wild man, Mark Merrow. Yep. And... Well, he made Sable's career. Yeah, that he did. Um, so we go to Mean Gene Okerlund again, this time cautiously trying to approach Vader's dressing room, but Vader's a little busy. He's uh, slamming a chair against the wall. <laughs> That's what Vader did. I fucking did. loved this. He just made noise. I couldn't even understand him. Yeah, well, you understood one thing. He said, no interviews. So, yeah. no interview. And he, and he was like... 
It was so awkward how he ran towards the door and then pulled away. This whole segment just cracked me up. It was a little hokey, but I enjoyed it. It made Vader look like an out-of-control beast. <laughs> and then there's Harley Race just standing there, like, fuddling with a bag of chips or something. <laughs> I don't remember what he was doing. That dude, fucking his hair was white as shit here. Our next match, this is hopefully the breakup of all these slow-plotting matches, is for the television title, Arn Anderson taking on champion Lord Steven Regal. Regal, ironically, has a manager with him named Sir William. I thought that was kind of funny. Steven Regal at this point, and he had a manager named William. Yeah, I kind of like that too, and I'm a huge Steven Regal mark, so, uh, and William Regal mark, so uh, this was a big, um, this is a cool opportunity to see uh, some of, like, especially wrestling against someone like Arn Anderson. It's such a classic mm-hmm. matchup. It is, absolutely. Like, this is one of those things when we decided to do this pay-per-view, and I saw this on the card, I was like, ooh, this is going to be a highlight of the night, I'm sure. It's, it's one of those things I didn't even know I wanted to see, you know? Uh-huh, and I ended up enjoying this, which was, actually, I was a little disappointed. I was checking out some old reviews back from um, uh, when people did more of a retrospective interview uh, reviews, and a lot of people were down on this match. I think some of the nuances were lost on them. Could be. Uh, Sir William is played by a name that many of you may knew, may know, Superstar Bill Dundee. <laughs> Which uh, totally caught me off guard when you told me this earlier. I, you know, if I wouldn't have known if I didn't look it up. He has the hat, he has the big thick glasses, he's doing the accent, He's he does not come off like Bill Dundee at all. When you told me at first, I was like, is he fucking with me? And then I'm like, he's got no reason to fuck with me about that. <laughs> Uh, well, you know what really took me by surprise is the voice of Michael Buffer. <laughs> it just came yeah, out of nowhere. Yeah, I was just like, whoa, I did not expect a Buffer appearance on this show. <laughs> me neither, especially because we already had uh, Gary Michael Capetta doing the announcing before, and then out of nowhere, Michael Buffer? What? <laughs> uh, but he is, he is boring. Yeah, man, I've never been a Buffer fan. I've always um, <laughs> liked his brother much better. I can I can enjoy Michael Buffer when he is on, but you could just tell he does not care, or he is just lost, or some combination between the two. He is just not on tonight. Let's get ready to pick up my paycheck. <laughs> uh, the match begins with Arn offering a handshake, but Regal looks absolutely disgusted by it, which I I love. If there's one thing I love from Regal, it is that face of disgust he does. Oh, look, like, where it looks like you've just fucking handed him a dead baby and he just looks at you in disgust. It's fucking fantastic. The sneer on his face, the way he scrunches up his nose like you've just farted. It's great. Uh, Regal sells his ear heavily throughout the beginning of this match, which I also thought was a funny touch. That's not a part that you typically have people selling. They sell the knee, sell the arm, he sells the ear. It's that part of the world of sport days that he's got in him. He does so many unique little things in the match. I just wanted to make a note of this. There's a point in the match where I see this terrifying, glowy-eyed monster in the crowd. And oh, yeah? I, it, it's just because the lights are shining off this person's glasses in the crowd at just the right angle, but it was pretty terrifying, and it distracted me for a good few minutes in the match. I didn't notice. I'm going to have to go back and look at this stuff. <laughs> uh, there was a test of strength, which I also thought was another old-school touch that I, I absolutely adored seeing. There's just so many um, old school wrestling moves that they can uh, that can be used now. Which Regal during this time period used to use the Roman knuckle locks, um, the test of strength. There was just so much that Arn and him used in this match, which 
a lot of guys could pay attention to now and honestly utilize. And we had a bit of complaint about a lot of these early matches, about lots of rest holds and being slow. And I think you could make an argument that this match was too, but the difference is that they're switching it up. And it feels like a contest throughout it all. And that's what yeah. I think they did masterfully over everybody else. A lot of those other matches just felt like stalemates that had no conflict. It was like, you're going to lay on the mat for the next two minutes, I'm going to have my heads around you, then we're going to move to the next spot. This one felt like it was a constant struggle. People were going for positions. It was just done so much better. It was two pros. And one other thing that they focused a lot on this match was the time. We had a time limit on this match, 30 minutes, I believe it was. Uh, yeah, and they used it like right up until the ending of the match. They really played into it. Well, let's, uh, yeah, let's just skip right to the, the finish here. We get the alert of there being 60 seconds left on the clock. Arn Anderson hits a patent spine buster. No one does it better. Uh, but the problem is Regal is too close to the ropes that Sir William grabs his arm and prevents Arn Anderson from being able to roll him over for the pin. Arn confronts Sir William, allowing Regal to sneak up from behind. Arn goes for a sunset flip, but Regal tries to balance from falling down into the pin as Sir William extends his umbrella upward for Regal to grab a hold of and just drops down for the pin as the clock is just under 10 seconds. And Regal wins, successfully defends the TV title, and man, I love the ending of this match. I love the ending too, because I actually uh, didn't check the results of this match on purpose, and I didn't. Ex I thought they were going to go to a timeout with this and just have it... Um you know, draw ending, but mm -hmm. they actually gave us a finish and it was really cool and kind of off topic, but do you think Jack Gallagher um, ended up using uh, the umbrella based off uh, Sir William? I don't know if I would say that. I think it's just a British stereotype that they both chose to use. Okay, I was just wondering if it was a touch to that. Doesn't he have a name for the umbrella? Yeah, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> I'll have to check it out. If it's called Sir William, there might be something to it. Per perhaps. Um... I, I cannot confirm nor deny that, but I can confirm that it is just like a uh, an American view of a British stereotype that they they carry umbrellas a lot because that's one of the like rains all the time in England, right? Yeah, okay. I thought it might be because of the Mary Poppins thing. Oh, it could it could have something to do with that too? But I, I think that's just a, a typical garb for an English gentleman, you know the the bowler cap, the the, oh, the pocket his, watch. His, his umbrella is called William the Third. Oh, shit. Okay, well, I, I think you might be onto something there. <laughs> well, shit, learn something new every day. Yeah, put put those dots together. Any other thoughts about this match? Because this, this really was an awesome match. I don't have too much more to say about it, but I, I would say just go watch it because it it is two professionals in there. I, I miss... Well, the biggest issue I have with pro wrestling today is that there's not any... There's a lack of storytelling and there's a lack of pacing and there's just a lack of making it look competitive. And these guys just knocked it out of the park. That, that's the biggest thing I can say about this match. So after this match, we're on Tony and Bobby, and we finally see some WCW shirts sweeping up around the ring. <laughs> I was so happy when they were finally doing this. I love how much it bothered you. Not only did it bother... Well, listen, the, the confetti being there bothered me, but the people sweeping it up bothered Tony. Did you catch that when Tony thought he was being cute with the person who sweeped by? Oh, no, I didn't catch that. Did he make a comment? Yeah, he was like, oh, excuse us. <laughs> you never know <laughs> you, you never know what's going to happen on a WCW paper as if it's like the most wild thing. Oh, wait, thing. yeah, you know what? Now that, that I didn't realize that's what he was referencing to. Yeah, it was like, is that really that crazy of a thing? Someone went by with a broom? <laughs> Jesus, Tony. <laughs> excuse us. You never know what's going to happen at WCW. 
The clash of the chip. You brought the misses. <laughs> really trying to sell it. Um, yeah, our, our next match we got here for the tag team titles. Cactus Jack and Max Payne challenging against the tag team champions, the Nasty Boys. No, uh, they could stop. <laughs> the backstory of this, uh, Cactus Jack and Max Payne got a defeat over the Nasty Boys in a non-title match at the Clash of the Champions. And that's why they get this title opportunity. Brian Nobbs comes out with an acoustic guitar, and at first I'm thinking for some reason, then I thought about it, I was like, oh, it's because Max Payne used to do the guitar gimmick, which he didn't do here for some reason. So that's why I didn't make that connection. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was a little random at first. It took me a while to uh, connect the dots too, so I'm glad I wasn't the only one. And we have Bruce Buffer doing the announcing again, and I have to say, him announcing Max Payne must have been the lowest point of his career. Oh, definitely. I bet he fucking had to, like, uh, I bet he burnt his suit. Um, I will say this, though. This match was a little better than I was expecting it to be. I thought it was the shits, but I'm really? glad you liked it. <laughs> well, okay. So, this is my note going, like, about halfway in the match. I was like, this is actually going a little better than I expected. And I think that has a lot to do with Cactus Jack. Um, but then my next note is, never mind, the Nasty Boys ruin it when Nobbs has this Boston Crab, and Sags is acting like he's putting more pressure onto it by pushing his boot into Nobbs' throat. <laughs> so you know like someone to like pull someone's arm to give more pressure and like when they're doing a, a, a submission hold or something no he just like pushes against him with his boot and like the opposite uh, 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 this will hurt his fucking back ball take this in your throat you bastard <laughs> <laughs> just the shots they were landing all match they not of like did you see the amount of times where they would just try and walk or get up and they'd stumble not from selling just from being like too overweight it was so bad well, and this was a skinnier version of the Nasty Boys, too. I, I know. I actually they thought they looked in, I thought they were looking in good shape for what we usually see. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, Max Payne gets the hot tag, goes for an overhead belly-to-belly on Nobbs, which was insane for such a big man like that. Nobbs lands horribly. We're, we're going to come back to that. Um, Payne puts Nobbs into a crossface. Sags grabs the guitar from the outside, which was already broken somehow, uh, smashes it over Payne's head, and get disqualified to retain the titles. Yeah, the ending was about the best part. At least we got to see something explode. <laughs> well... <laughs> So, here's a little um, dirt sheet stories on this match here. Uh, Apparently, throughout this feud, Max Payne was highly upset with working with the Nasty Boys, feeling that they were too stiff. And there's a certain point in this match where they go to do a move, and neither of them agree about how the move is going to go, and it ends up with somebody landing horribly. You know what I'm talking about? Wait, which one was this? this? This is this match here. I didn't catch this. What spot was it? It was right before the end when Max Payne goes for that overhead belly-to-belly on Brian Nobbs. Brian Nobbs lands disgustingly. He actually breaks his shoulder. He actually gets taken out of um, competition for a while. He actually gets you hurt see, during they've been match. bumping. they've been bumping like shit the entire night that I didn't catch on that it was like... I thought it was just them being sloppy. Well, you can especially notice it because after the move happens, he's like his arm is moving in kind of a weird way and... It almost seems like the match kind of gets rushed finish after that. Oh, shit. I mean, good news for us, though, right? <laughs> Who knows? Maybe this match was supposed to go on another five minutes. <laughs> um, but yeah, this would result in Max Payne 
getting buried and eventually released from the company. He would head over to the WWF as Man Mountain Rock, pretty much doing the same gimmick where he came out with a guitar, this time shaped like the WWF logo. It's a wild thing to see. Cactus Jack, he would hung out for a little bit, eventually go into ECW and then enter WWF as Mankind. And Nasty Boys, their careers, they've been on and off. I mean, they, they still wrestle to this day sometimes, so... <laughs> Mainly off. So we go to Mean Gene. One more time backstage with uh, Ricky Steamboat and Ric Flair. And this is the promo, actually, where Flair and Steamboat are showing tons of respect between each other. Uh, Flair is very calm and reserved when he's speaking here, too. It's just so weird to see Ric Flair like that. Vader, I'm looking at you as something I have to beat, someone I have to move aside, someone I have to get around to go on with this career. And, of course, if I'm fortunate enough tonight to get by Vader, then I've got to wrestle one of the greatest of all time, and that's Ric Steamboat. I noticed a lot with these older interviews, sometimes you'd get a lot more calmer demeanor like they're talking in a normal setting. And maybe it's just because I'm so used to these overproduced WWE segments where everything thinks oh, I'm a little over the top. And even with Ric Flair, I've seen him have some of the massive over-the-top promos through his career too, so it was definitely weird. We get the lowering of the Thunder Cage. Ugh. What's the difference <laughs> of a Thunder Cage from a regular cage, you might ask? Well, it's a bit taller. It sits off of the ring rather than on the apron. Think of kind of like the Hell in the Cell does. And, at and the it very, looks like shit. <laughs> yeah. At the very top of it, it has a little bit bent inwards at an angle. This thing was a rickety piece of crap. I did not expect it to look that ghetto. Well, thank goodness this was not the kind of match where you have to climb over the cage to win. <laughs> yeah, I know. At least it was pretty much just an extra barricade. Um, and we actually get two matches inside this thing tonight. This is not the first ever Thunderdome, or excuse me, Thunder Cage match, but um, it is the first ever double match night, whatever I'm trying to say. <laughs> double Thunder Cage. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was the tagline for the show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the first match we get is a tag match. Emphasis on the tag. Uh, it is the team of Sting, Brian Pillman, and Dustin Rhodes. Uh, taking on Steve Austin, Rick Rude, and Paul Orndorff. Neither of these teams make any sense to me, but okay. Yeah, they were a real mismatch. up. kind of caught off guard with this one. Uh, the backstory to this, as much as I can figure out, uh, the Hollywood Blondes had recently broke up. That's the team of Brian Pillman and Steve Austin, for those who don't know. Uh, Sting and Rick Rude were feuding over the WCW International World Heavyweight title. Uh, and going into this match, Rick Rude was the current WCW International World Heavyweight Champion. Austin was the current U.S. Champion, although none of them came out there with their belts. Yeah, I heard them announcing the titles too, and I'm like, why aren't they coming out with the belts? It was a shame, because one of the coolest things about checking out these old pay-per-views is checking out the terrible belt designs. <laughs> well, okay. Well, the U.S. Champion is actually very similar to the belt that the WCW used for pretty much to the end. Um, and the WCW International World Heavyweight Championship, you will know as the Big Gold Belt. Mm -hmm. do, do you know why it is the WCW International World Heavyweight Champion? Um, wasn't it because they were recognizing two world champions at the time, the NWA World Heavyweight Champion, and then WCW had their own champion? Yeah, very, eventually, very good. Eventually, they came together. Do you know how that all happened? Because th this was complicated as hell for me to understand, but do you, are you aware of this whole thing? I'm not sure about the ins and outs exactly. So I had to read an article on this, no lie, like three or four times. The same article, three or four times, because this was just so hard for my brain to comprehend. And I don't know if it was just me, but I, I will try to explain this the best that I can, because I, I figured it would be, this would be the time to talk about it. I don't know when else it would come up. So 1991, 
Ric Flair wins the NWA slash WCW World Heavyweight Championship. I forget, maybe it was Steamboat or whoever he won it from. He would leave WCW over disagreements with management to head to the WWF. We all know how that went down. Uh, Ric Flair was in possession of the big gold belt uh, because he had put the deposit on it, so he got to keep it as he went over, and we all know how that story played out. This left WCW and the NWA in quite a bind as they didn't have champions. For some reason, and this is the part that really confuses me, they each crowned their own separate champion. So, so Flair has the big gold belt, which is the NWA championship. Well, it was both. It was both the NWA and WCW World Heavyweight Championship when he took it. Well, it was the NWA championship, but it was used by WCW that he Correct. took it at the time. Yes. Yeah. Um, Okay, so then WCW claim a champion, and then the, the NWA, NWA also claimed a champion, separate from WCW. Now, did this new NWA champion use the same lineage as Flair? Uh, of the NWA championship, yes. Okay, and the WCW title used a new lineage. That is a completely new lineage they used at that point. That is correct. In 1991, you would see the WCW World Heavyweight Championship begin a new title there. Uh, so that continued on for a little bit until Ric Flair came back to the WCW like 1993-ish. The WCW World Heavyweight title kept doing its thing, and eventually Ric Flair would be crowned the NWA World Heavyweight Champion. So that's how that belt found its way back onto WCW TV. So you would have Ric Flair as the NWA World Heavyweight Champion, and I think it was primarily between Sting and Rick Rude had the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. Got it? Okay. Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> close to folk, but I got it. Um, and eventually those titles would be merged, and they would keep the big gold belt as the design for that. So the history for that big gold belt is quite... And then that belt would eventually be taken in by WWE. <laughs> It become the spec. That that big gold belt has quite a history if you go through and look through it. Yeah, it's got multiple lineages just for that title design too. Oh, interesting thing I'd like to point out. You know that no no single company owns the design for that good big gold belt. Really? Yep. If you want to go out and start a promotion and use the big gold belt, you can. Interesting. Well, nobody's using it right now, so hey, get out there and do it. Um, oddly enough, the NWA doesn't use that design then. They, they went back to their uh, their globe design that they were using. I honestly associate that belt more with the NWA, so I think it's the right decision. The other belt that they're using now? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think it's a classy-looking belt. Mm -hmm. The big gold one I like, but I only like on certain people. With this match, we are in a cage with no disqualifications, but for some reason we're following tag match rules. Yeah, that's what threw me off of this match. I was really annoyed by it. I'm like, well, the cage is just to keep them inside the cage. Doesn't mean they have to obey the rules in the cage. It honestly took me out of the match for majority of it. I was like, this is pointless. And it, it made me think the match was never going to get hot or exciting, and I was pretty right. Yeah, I was actually expecting this match to end up starting kind of organized as a tag and then breaking into just a bloody six-man. And it never really got that. I mean, there was a bit of juice, but nothing special. No. In fact, I'll just go ahead and get to the finish of this, because I really don't have any notes for the middle of it. Uh, Dustin gets the hot tag to Flying Brian Pillman, who lights up things with drop kicks for everybody. The rest of both teams charge in for a chaotic brawl, and this is literally, like, really the, the only time we get this, is at the very end. Uh, Sting Gorilla presses Pillman onto Austin for the 1-2-3 pinfall victory. Sting and Rude keep fighting after the match is over. The door opens, allowing Rude to back out to the outside, and as Sting is going after Rude, 
Rude slams the door into Sting's face. And Rude follows that up with a Rude Awakening on the mats, and the heels walk away smiling even though they lost the match. I gotta say, the problem at the end segment was the best part of this. Yeah, the, the part with Rude and Sting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, that's like the only thing I really went into in-depth notes on this. It was, yeah, it was the only thing that like had any real elements of storytelling that really got me invested. The rest of it was just kind of, eh, six dudes in a cage. What did you think of uh, Dustin's performance in this? Um, Dude's more athletic than I... like. People uh, say he's better now, but and I kind of agree. He's really shined in some of his more recent years, but he wasn't half bad here. He wasn't, but he was a little clumsy during certain parts you could catch, but I also noticed when he was in there with Rick Rude, he was hanging, and that's a compliment. For this period of time, Dustin was more athletic than I realized. Yeah, well, that, that's a good way to put it. And I think that's going to wrap it up for that match. I honestly have no nothing to say. Which is a shame, because there's six very high-caliber talents in there, and it is a unique gimmick match, and it was just not used to its ability. And I don't know if that was to save things for the later match, and that's always kind of the problem when you have more than one of a gimmick match on the card. But, yeah, I, I was not feeling this match. It didn't help that they did it back-to-back. Maybe they should have opened with one. Mm. Well, let's head to our second one, then. It is Ric Flair defending the WC... I'm sorry. Is he the NWA World? Yeah. He is the WCW World Heavyweight Champion, according to Wikipedia. No, at this time, he would be the NWA World Heavyweight Champion because um, Rick Rude was the WCW International World Heavyweight. So that was one of the things I didn't mention about that. So the reason it was called the WCW International World Heavyweight Champion is not... It's confusing with the name. So it's not like WCW International World Heavyweight Champion. It's... WCW International World Heavyweight Champion. So you're the World Heavyweight Champion crowned by an organization called WCW International. Understand? So it's no, I don't. <laughs> fuck, fuck this company. <laughs> it's basically like WCW International was this fictitious brand that they made up to replace the NWA. Is what oh. that, that's basically supposed to be like. It's fucking retarded. Yeah. <laughs> Um, oh, they overcomplicated that crap way too much. So yeah, at this point, Ric Flair would have been the NWA World's Heavyweight Champion, and, and Vader was going for the challenge, going in as the challenger. Uh, backstory for this: Flair defeated Vader at Starcade 1993 for the world title. Vader, th- this is that show. If you've ever seen this clip of Vader ripping apart the backstage area, knocking over lockers and everything, that happened after this show. After he lost. Uh, Flair gets injured by Vader at Clash of the Champions in January with a top rope superplex, which is just amazing the things that you could claim would hurt people back then. Yeah, I know. It's a shame that we've, we've done, like, wrestlers have done it to themselves. They've taken away so many of their own tools. Mm-hmm. Uh, this match actually was originally called off because of this, but then put back on after Flair sees Vader attacking Ricky Steamboat and... Uh, Nick Bockwinkle agrees to reinstate the match and even includes a special guest referee... The boss. That's right. Sasha Banks is going to be here in this Thunder Cage <laughs> match. No, no, I kid. The boss. It's it's uh, Bruce Springsteen, everybody. Bruce Springsteen make a special appearance at WCW. No, I'm kidding. It's Ray Trailer. Now, I'm confused. So when they brought him back, did they call him the boss just because of how popular he got in WWE with that name? Because he had, he was pretty decently well known as Big Bubba Rogers back um, under Jim Crockett. I actually had no idea that they did this like he came out and i'm like this is just a total ripoff of big boss man and any other time i've seen him under a wcw logo he's been big bubba rogers any other time that's what threw me off i'm just like he's not big bubba what the fuck 
Yeah, so that was that was interesting. Vader comes out with a lavish white cape. Actually, it looks kind of bad. It looks very like barbarianish for him. I dug it. I didn't like his music. No, the music was not good. Uh, Harley Race accompanies him, and the mustache accompanies Harley Race. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's pretty fucking accurate. It was fucking huge. <laughs> uh, Ric Flair comes out with black robes with silver feathers and jewels, as you say, quite gaudy. Yeah. Um, Vader grabs a chair and is pacing inside, waiting for Flair. And I actually like this, how the boss pulls out a nightstick and is, like, threatening him to drop the chair. He's going to hit him with the nightstick. I thought it was a good character moment there. Yeah, I'll comment on his nightstick work later, because it was pretty fun. Uh, Vader tosses the chair to the floor. And all throughout this beginning moments here, you, you got to really pay attention to the deliberate motions of the boss. He, I, I got to give the credits to Ray Trailer here. He was setting up everything with this match for you to notice that he has the nightstick, he has the cuffs, and he's taking the keys and he's locking the door and he's putting the keys around his neck. You are noticing every motion that he's doing throughout this. Well, a big part of pro wrestling, which has been forgotten, is to do big over-exaggerated movements. You, you're, you're trying to get the lady in the back row to know what the fuck you're doing. Exactly. And I think a lot of people tend to forget that. Flair starts this match off hot with shots backing Vader to the corner and then eventually outside. Flair finds the chair that Vader had brought in and lightly taps him with the padded side, which <laughs> the chair saw shots that we eventually get to see down the line in wrestling. This was so weak looking. Yeah, especially some of like the horrible ones on those like ECW one night stand events where they'd echo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, very tame. Flair rips off Vader's mask, and uh, eventually Vader takes control, drops a Vader bomb onto Flair, follows up with going for a moonsault, but Flair rolls out of the way. Vader able to brace his fall, though, keeping control of the match. Uh, Harley Race reaches through the cage and attacks Flair while they're on the outside, and Vader's distracting the boss. Vader nails a top rope superplex onto Flair, the move that originally injured him. Uh, but Flair is able to continue this time. Race is hitting Flair again on the outside, but the boss catches him doing it this time, whips out the handcuffs that he had showed earlier, and begins trying to handcuff Race to the cage, but Vader tacks from behind and handcuffs the boss to the cage instead. And Harley Race grabs the key from the boss's neck, Vader grabs the nightstick, and everything's going to hell at this point. Yeah, this is actually a lot of fun, and I love some of Big Boss Man's nightstick work. I, maybe I just missed it in WWE, but he's twirling that thing around his wrist and just acting like a maniac. No, he, he had skill with that, and he loved showing it off. And he did that all the way up until his, like, uh, his, his, like flak jacket days. He was doing that then, too. Okay, maybe I just didn't pay attention to it. You know what? When I think of Big Boss Man in the WWE, thing I think about is, uh, you're a bastard and your mama said so. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, Race enters the ring. Him and Vader double team Flair for a while. Uh, Arn Anderson charges out, trying to rip off the cage door, uh, causes a temporary distraction to Flair and Race long enough for Flair to make an opening. Ricky Steamboat comes out as well. He's taking a chair, trying to break the lock off the door. Both of these guys are trying their hardest to get in to save their friend. Um, getting to the finish here, the boss finally breaks himself away from the cuffs, charges in, and attacks both Vader and Race with a baton. Since they took his nightstick, he had another backup baton in there, which is just awesome. Uh, Flair puts a figure four on Vader, and the boss immediately calls for the bell. He was screwed! Yeah, I didn't see a tap out. I actually kind of like that. It um, keeps Vader protected some. Very much then so. Again, 
Would they even use... You know what I say? I didn't see a tap, but then I have to think back to 90s matches and go, wait, were tap-outs a thing yet? But no, th- I mean, there wasn't even enough time for him to say, I quit or uh-huh, anything. Yeah. This, this was deliberately immediately, and they told that narrative on the commentary, too. Uh, winner yeah, they did a good job of telling the story. Winner and still world champion, Ric Flair. Vader's livid. He uh, cost the announcers, asking to speak to Bockwinkle before heading to the back. Bobby Heaton storms off angry as well. Shivani wishes us a good night, and we get closing pyro for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen Closing Pyro. That, that's an interesting decision for... The only time um, I've seen Closing Pyro is, like, post-WrestleMania. Oh, that's a good point. Or, like, the Royal Rumble. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, that's a good... I mean, even that is in the celebration. It's not, like, Closing Pyro, you know? Yeah, it's not just, yo, show's over! Woo! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this last Thundercage match, a lot more fun than the first one. A lot more chaotic. You, you used a lot more tools in it, more people involved, and it made it a lot more fun. Yeah, could have used some like major color, I think, though. Yeah, and especially with Ric Flair involved, you think that's something you would see more of, right? Especially with his hair. I love it watching his hair get soaked in blood. It's one of the best visuals in wrestling. Uh, any more thoughts about this, or the event in general, actually? Overall, I was expecting a little more with a name like the F- uh, Thunder Cage. When you have a special name for a cage, I expect it to be a little more imposing than what I've seen on your competitors. But with that said, Ric Flair and Vader made it work a lot better than uh, the six-man tag did. Um, I really enjoyed the uh, Lord Stephen Regal match. It was probably my favorite in the entire event. Um, overall, it wasn't a bad show, and it was definitely a fun, nostalgic trip. You know what your problem is, Wago? You just need to get beyond Thunder Cage. Beyond Thunder Cage? <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a Mad Max joke. Oh, I don't watch Mad Max. Oh, God damn it. All right, well... <laughs> <laughs> you know you're gonna have to edit that out. <laughs> oh God damn it! All right, so yeah, I'm I'm in agreement though. This show, I don't know if I would recommend anyone to go out of their way to watch it. Uh, at the very least, that Arn Anderson Stephen Regal match is probably the only one I would say that to find and look up. If you're an indie worker, go ahead and watch that match especially. That's what I'd say. Yeah, I, I had fun researching this, and there was a lot of fun backstories to a lot of this that I, I I'll have fun dropping in this episode, but. Overall, as a wrestling fan just looking for something to watch, I, I would say give Super Brawl 4 a big pass. Agreed. Yeah, we're going to take a short break, guys, here, and we'll be back for the next part. And we're going to be doing something a little fun. Don't go anywhere. This is Thunder Game. This is it. It's going to be a war with only one rule. Two men in a the man! Yeah. World Championship Wrestling presents Super Brawl 4 Double Thunder Cage. The Nature Boy, Ric Flair, and Vader brawl for it all inside Thunder Cage. And it's Thunder Cage times two as Sting, Flying Brian, and Dustin Rhodes collide with ravishing Rick Rude, Paul Orndorff, and stunning Steve Austin. Nature Boy! Thunder Cage will be Vader's revenge! Wrestling presents Super Brawl 4 Double Thunder Cage Sunday, February 20th, live and only on pay per view. We're back for the next part of Punch and Pie. We just finished talking about Super Brawl 4, and in this last part, I always like to do something a little more fun uh, and relative to what we were talking about in the first episode. We did Whose Ass Is It Anyway? 
Wago did all right in that one, but I got another game for you here, Wago, and this one might hit a little closer to home. Uh, This one is called Name That Wrestler. And the way this works, you probably are a fan of uh, Pokemon, Wago. I think we've talked about that before, right? Uh, Yeah, in fact, we did a little little something on the Ronda Rousey episode. That's right. Uh, And now we're going to bring it back this one. I'm going to advance that a little bit further. I'm going to give you an image of a shadowed out wrestler. And you have to tell me who the wrestler is. Oh, awesome. All right. I am uploading image number one now. I'm going to go with the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. Number one is the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. Woo! Woo! <laughs> Started off easy for you, though. I figured you'd be able to get that one from the hair, if nothing else. Yeah. The robe's helped. The robe, yeah, the robe as well. All right. Well, here's number two. Now, is there a theme to this, or is it just quite, um, like, is it wrestlers that we're on tonight, or are we just going with general? It is all wrestlers who are on tonight as well, yeah. I'm following that as well for this. Um, is it Max Payne? It is not Max Payne, although you were close in the right match. That is Jerry Sags. Oh, I thought it was one of those. I thought <laughs> it was someone fat. <laughs> well, that's very kind of you. All right, number three. Oh, it's a Booker T. That's Booker T! <laughs> <laughs> Shooky dookie quack quack. All right, you're two for three so far. Here comes number four. Is that the other nasty boy piece of shit? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it is another big man. Oh, though. That's Vader. That's Vader. <laughs> All right, two for four. Number five coming in. Arn Anderson. Wow. Gotta say, I didn't think you would get that one quite so easily. I know that head anywhere. <laughs> that big old melon head. Yeah. <laughs> and plus that stern pose. Yeah, he does always have the same fucking pose, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, it's either that or he has the uh, the four fingers up. That's all he knows yeah. how to do. <laughs> if you're lucky and he's in a good mood, he might put his hands on his hips. Number six. Yeah, who's this skinny fuck? At least he looks <laughs> skinny in this picture. He probably might not be so skinny. I'm gonna... Well, actually, maybe not. Is he a real man? What? Is he Stephen Regal? No, no, no. I'm, that is Sting. Oh, I, I actually almost went with Sting, but I thought that might be too skinny for him. But he was a little slimmer back then. Yeah, th- th- this was a probably the best shape Sting was in around this point. Yeah, because Regal's always been one of those guys that wanted the European smaller guy, so I assumed it was his body shape. So that is, uh, what, three for six? You're half and half? Half and half. So this is your this is your deal breaker. That's how we ended up in the last game too. That's funny. <laughs> Let's see how you can end up with this one. Number seven, your last chance. Who is this? Johnny B. Bad. Oh, holy shit! It is Johnny B. Bad. <laughs> <laughs> Did the boa give it away? <laughs> Just the pose gave it away. And everything. <laughs> oh boy. Ah, so that's that. You ended up with uh, four out of seven. I would call that a awesome. winning score this time. Yeah, I didn't didn't do too bad this time. I was surprised I got Anderson that quickly, though. Yeah, I was definitely shocked at that one. Let us know in the comments below what you got, guys. I'm I'm curious how you guys do on these games, and I think it's a lot easier for you guys to play along with this one than perhaps, like, whose ass is it anyway? <laughs> <laughs> Not everyone wants to play whose ass is it anyway. It's a special game for special players. Well, it's one of those things you might want to know how good, you're, how good you are at it, you know? <laughs> I don't recommend you tell people that you play whose ass is this anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Something you do quietly at home. 
All right, that is going to wrap us up for episode three of Punch and Pie. Wago, where can people find more information about you? All right, you can follow me on Twitter at Stephen Wago. Stephen is spelled with a P-H. Wago is W-A-G-O, and all updates will be there. And if you want to find me personally, find me at M-R-P-A-D-E-N. That's Mr. Payton. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe to us wherever you might be listening to. That might be YouTube, might be Facebook, might be Twitch, and it might be iTunes or Stitcher, wherever it is. Or if you want to have it on multiple places, hey, check out all those places. Leave comments, leave reviews, leave a rating. All those things help us grow, which we need to do right now as we are brand spanking new. And if you want to keep up with any news with us, the social media places are the best, Facebook and the Twitter. And that's going to wrap us up for here. You guys have been wonderful for listening, and we'll catch you all next time on Punch and Pie. See ya! See ya!